Thank you for tuning in to this webinar using HR analytics to drive business innovation. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and human resource professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speaker is Carrie Cox. Carrie is a Senior Organizational Development Consultant for AGH Employer Solutions Organizational Development and Family Business Services Group. She has experience in a variety of human resource functions, including a thorough knowledge of labor laws, compensation structures, employee classification, benefits administration, performance management, and human resources best practices. Carrie served clients in a number of industries, including manufacturing, construction, banking, and not-for-profits. HR professionals can be easily overwhelmed with HR data and analytics. This session will break down the topic of HR analytics to provide attendees with the process to use HR data to take action to solve their business problems. Thank you, Mike, and good afternoon, everyone. Hope you all are having a wonderful Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday at least. Um, but thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. And I am excited to present on a topic that really has the potential to impact all of the decisions that you make in your work. But before we dive into that, I'll give you just a little bit more information about me. As Mike mentioned, the type of work and consulting that I do, um, but really I get to do a lot of the things you do. So uh, I help our clients with things like hiring and reviewing compensation, employment policy development, helping with HR investigations, employee assessments and training. And really a lot of that's data driven. So when we hire, when we compensate, when we do audits of our HR functions, when we investigate, when we create different kinds of retention programs, we're typically using data to drive and guide our decision making. We just may not always think about the fact that we are using data. So I've presented this topic to several groups of HR professionals over the last year. And I think it's been really well received as people are trying to figure out how do we integrate more data into our decision-making processes to be more effective. And some that have attended these uh, presentations have been very proficient and comfortable with using HR analytics, but others are just getting started. So no matter where you are on your journey, I think you'll be able to take away some tidbits and, and hopefully integrate some things into uh, your everyday life so that you can convert data into actionable results. So um, that's where we'll focus in our talk today. And to be honest, you know, when I first started presenting on this topic, I was intimidated. I was asked to facilitate a local SHRM workshop several years ago, and I really didn't think I was qualified to present on this topic. But as I started preparing and, and looking through the content that was actually provided by SHRM for that very initial um, uh, presentation I did, I realized I'm using data in some shape or form in most aspects of the work I do, and likely you are too. We just have to reframe how we think about analytics and what it means to us. So hopefully by the end of today's session, you'll be more comfortable with that too. So in today's session, we'll define HR analytics, identify the stages of analytics and assess where you are and then how you can level up so you can advance through those stages in your journey. We'll talk just briefly about the business case for using analytics and identify a process for how you work through solving a business challenge using HR analytics. And I'll provide you with a, an example um, that we'll work through together as we go through that process. So first, let's just define it. HR analytics is a process in which you use data to help solve a business problem or improve a business function. Sometimes it's also referred to as people analytics or talent analytics. And you're likely using HR analytics in your day-to-day -day work. And, and today we'll talk through how you make it more of a process in your everyday thinking. So it's kind of thinking through what the process looks like so that you can operationalize that in order to use data to understand and test your talent strategies. When we use good data proactively, it helps drive better decisions and it makes you a better business partner for the managers that you serve. Before we get into the presentation in depth, we're gonna go ahead and um, load our first polling question. Mike will take care of that for us. 
Yeah, so some of you feel pretty comfortable with that and you're already well on your way with using data analytics or HR analytics in the work that you're doing. But um, most of us are, are just kind of somewhat or are comfortable or even a little uncomfortable with that. So um, this will be a good opportunity for you to hopefully think of this as more of a, a process for you to go through and, and think about. So as we think about that process, we have some key components to consider. The process uses data, metrics, and analytics, and we really need to understand what's the difference between those items. So when we talk about data, it's just the numbers. And as an example, we might know that we have 150 employees today. We might know that we've hired six people since January 1. And we might know that we've had 20 people leave the company since uh, January 1 of this year. So we're just looking at what numbers are in front of us. And then when we start to consider metrics, those are related to the numbers and they help us to track our performance in the past. So turnover might be an example of a metric. We'll talk about that uh, today. Uh, so we could calculate a turnover number for the year using our numbers of separations and our average number of employees. And in this case, we want to make sure we're thinking about headcount, not just full-time employees. We're counting um, actual people, not equivalents. And um, in the example that we have here, we might have a turnover rate of 13.3%. So again, it's, it's historical, it's looking at um, the data and turning that into something that we can track related to performance. So then analytics is that next piece where we use statistics to detect patterns and predict future performance. So for example, if we know our turnover for the year so far is 13.3%, well, what does that tell us? It doesn't tell us anything if we don't have additional analysis involved. Would that turnover be trending upward? Is it stable? Is it trending downward? Is it higher in one department? What if all of it is in one department? So data and metrics inform us of useful information when we do something more and only when we do something more. It really doesn't mean anything unless we incorporate some of the analytics to figure it out. So in, in this example, we can see that turnover in one location is 17%. And so we start to think about hypotheses related to that. The problem with data and metrics is they're old. They're looking at historical information, numbers, data, metrics from the past. And if we leave it at that, then it's just challenging for us to make decisions about what to do next. And that's where the process of data analytics comes in. It helps us detect patterns and predict future performance so that we can prepare an intervention into that system and affect some sort of change. Another way to think about analytics is to understand how it's different from reporting. So reporting tells us what happened over a period of time and answers the questions what or how much. That's the data and the metrics that we just talked about. And that's where many of us live and we're pretty comfortable. We're comfortable running reports, give us historical um, data and information, and we don't always take it to the, the next level of analytics. So that's where, again, we use data to obtain those actionable insights to improve the way we do business. It helps us understand why we're having some of those numbers in our reporting come in. And we look at those relationships and patterns to predict the probability of future events so that we can start to think about what it is we need to do differently so that we can have better results. So think a little bit about how you're using data and analytics to guide you in decision making. And I'll share just a few examples um, to get you thinking about that. We can use data to predict and assess employee retention. We can use it to build better recruitment strategies when we look at our past information and analyze and predict future hypotheses um, that we can try out. We can build better compensation structures when we have access to data. We can better understand when we hire, so when we add to our workforce, and then we might also use it to evaluate and make changes to our wellness programs. So many of you may be doing that where you look at trends in your health 
data of your employees or the individuals on your plans and then can potentially make some recommendations and changes to impact that. So we're using it quite a bit. And within our process, we want to think about the different levels of maturity an organization goes through. So as I'm talking through these, think a little bit about where you are in your organization. With descriptive analytics, we're starting with just the data in the past or the present in a really basic sort of way. So an example might be turnover rates. Our turnover rate is 18% this year. Last year, our turnover rate was 8%. We're just looking at facts. Um, we're not getting into any um, hypothesizing or trying to figure out why it's that way. We're just looking at the numbers. And then we move to diagnostic analytics. So when we move to diagnostic analytics, we start to understand why. And we're looking at different data and metrics to figure out why something has happened. So with our turnover example, we might know that we reorganized our leadership team and we hired three new managers in that time period. And maybe that is contributing to our turnover. We don't know why yet though, and that comes into play with predictive analytics that helps us to predict those future happenings. And we're looking at that cause and effect to choose the right solution. So if we know that our leadership team structure changes and that hiring new managers increases turnover, we could do something to counteract that trend to have better success with this type of transition when we see it again in the future, because we know that certain things happen in organizations that are predictable and likely will happen again. So for example, if we um, put our new managers that we hired through a structured 12 month onboarding process to ensure that they just really know how we do things around here with our employees, what's expected of them, how to be successful and all of the nuances that they need to understand, could we reduce turnover? Or if we know that organizational structure changes cause turnover to increase, could we communicate more frequently or in different ways to make sure people feel connected to the organization and more stable about those changes and so they don't um, think about leaving or going elsewhere because of the instability or the uncertainty that they feel in those change times? Could we be more regimented in our communication and more transparent in what we tell employees and that might help them be more at ease. So in this phase, we're a little bit exploratory because we're testing hypotheses. We don't know yet exactly what to do, but we're using data to help guide us and explore in a more measured way based on that data that we have. And then the last um, stage in data analytics maturity is prescriptive analytics. So that's the roadmap that we use to get where we want to go. So in this phase, we're looking at what is the best course of action to get to our desired results. It's that add-on to predictive analytics. It's the confirmation of our plan that we derived from those hypotheses that we ended up testing through the predictive stage. In our case, we may have experimented with communication when we have leadership team structure changes. And maybe we figured out that in order to not see people leave the organization or to see a spike in turnover when that happens, we have to have town hall meetings every two weeks with the CEO for a time period. And we have to have manager check-ins every three days with employees. And we have to communicate certain things. So with those town hall meetings with the CEO, we have to communicate X, Y, and Z. And with those manager meetings we're having every three days, we have to communicate A, B, and C. So at this stage, we know the answer to influence those outcomes for better success if this type of thing happens again in the future. So we can implement that intervention the next time we see it coming. So data analytics all starts with solving a business problem. And you use the data you have to get the answer. 
So when you think about how you might use data analytics or HR analytics, don't be discouraged if you're not a statistician. You really just start with the business problem that you're trying to solve. Don't go looking through all kinds of data without having something that's in front of you that you know is an issue or concern or you want to get better at. You really need to start with what am I trying to improve here or what kind of efficiencies do I need? What do, what's my problem or challenge I need to help solve? Then you look at the data. So after you look at um, your problem and really define that, you're looking at the data and thinking about what can I try? What hypotheses might I make? And then finally, how do I test it to know for sure? So that's the analysis as we work through that business problem to achieve a solution. Sounds pretty simple, right? Um, it just depends on what support you have and what resources you have, of course. So where are you today? If you think about that, which phase are you spending most of your time related to your people data? And I'll tell you, based on a similar model by De Deloitte, um, research had indicated just two years ago, so this is a little dated from 2019, 56% of organizations were at level one and 30% were at level two. And so that means only 14% of organizations feel like they're at levels three or four where they're really being strategic and predictive so that they can have that roadmap in that prescriptive analytics phase. So I'm gonna turn it back to Mike and he's gonna launch our next polling question here. All right, thanks Mike. Thanks everybody for your input on that. Yeah, certainly you guys line up well with what that Deloitte study indicated that the majority of organizations are in that descriptive or diagnostic phase. So that's really where we're most comfortable. You know, we're, we're good at looking at reports and we're good at providing data when people ask us for it. Um, we might be good at thinking about what we do with that data and, and maybe some of the steps forward, but we might not be as good at those later phases where we're actually trying to test out those hypotheses and predict um, what those future um, remedies will be for the challenges that we have. So in just a few minutes, we'll start getting into the process and, and that'll help you, I think, get into uh, those stages more readily. So before we get into that process approach, then it's helpful, I think, to think about how do you level up? So sometimes just getting started can be overwhelming. So if you don't even feel like you're comfortable with that descriptive phase, you know, you need to look at what's happening now and, and having robust data is that first step. So if you're not already using a human capital management system or an um, applicant tracking system, that might be a good place to start where you just really get to dig in and know your numbers. And thinking about not just employee data or HR data, but organizational data that you might pull in. So what about sales data or financial results or things like that? Can you tie it all together? So that's where we wanna just take that first step to get started. And then to move into that descriptive phase, we're talking about what's happening now and in the past. So reports can help here. Um, make sure you understand what's represented in those reports and, and figure out what can you get out of them? What are your needs from your reporting processes? If you're not getting what you need, how can you build reports in different ways? And then to get to the next level, I would say you just want to identify three to four key questions that you would like to solve that would help improve the HR function and the overall organization's goals. So you might want to partner with some leaders in your organization to figure out how can I serve you to make your challenges go away or how can we um, look at potential solutions for those challenges that you have today. And then when you get to that diagnostic phase, it's why did it happen again? So we use those uh, metrics and the data we've collected to understand why. And we need to really understand what metrics are most reliable, indicative, and predictive of those critical business outcomes. So first off, you need to know what are the critical business outcomes, um, but how can we use our different metrics to indicate um, success in those areas? So is it turnover we wanna look at? Is it productivity numbers? Is it sales or profitability numbers? How do they relate? 
And then to get to the next level, we identify what we'd like to predict. So maybe we want to look at uh, which employees are at risk of leaving or when to hire more people in a growing department, for instance. And then we get into that predictive phase where we are thinking about what's happening in the future. So we use historical and, and present HR data combined with um, oftentimes artificial intelligence can help to tie in where we can predict future changes and we're leaping from being informative to actionable. And then finally with prescriptive, it's what's the roadmap? How do we design that? And in this phase, every decision is backed by data and analytics. And oftentimes you're filtering that through some machine learning capabilities so that you're making those best informed decisions and predicting what it is that um, might be the most um, successful outcome for you. And before we dive into um, that process, cautionary tale here on the fact that your data has to be good. So we've heard of garbage in, garbage out, I'm sure, and it's true here too. If we're not comfortable, we don't trust, or it's not reliable data that we're working with, we're not going to be able to predict uh, good solutions out of this. So let me just share with you a quick little fable. This could happen in your organizations or maybe it has sometimes, I don't know. Um, but this is fictional. So we'll say we've got uh, Bobby and Susie here and they're both up for an internal promotion and they both went through the same interview process and the team had a scoring rubric that they used to rate candidates. So we were very clear on what we we're looking for from our next candidate and we were very clear on how we rated candidates and so um, basically they scored equally well through the assessment that um, they took and that assessment was benchmarked to successful performance in the future role and they also scored equally well on their interview process. So we didn't really have one or the other that, that looked better at that point. But let's say we also went and looked at past evaluation data. So looked at scores from their prior evaluations in their current roles. And Bobby's scores were higher than Susie's. And so let's say we gave Bobby the promotion because of that factor. And so what happened though was Susie thought she didn't get promoted because she's been championing workforce equality for women. She's been on, um, you know, having a lot of discussions with people about pay equity in the organization. And so she thinks that's why she didn't get promoted and she sues the company. Could she have a case? Well, of course we would say no, we used a robust screening process. We use real data in our evaluation. Um, but what if Susie's scores on her evaluations were lower just because her manager scores all of her direct reports lower or because women tend to rate women lower? Studies have shown that. So what if Susie's current role has nothing to do with the promotional role that was she was being considered for? Is current success a predictor of future success in a very different role? Well, not necessarily. So I say that because we oftentimes have these good processes, but if we're using data that doesn't really reflect or isn't relevant to that process, then we've gotta be really careful and cautious, making sure it's relevant, valid, and reliable. Otherwise we could get ourselves in trouble even when it, it appears to be a fair and consistent process. So consider that as you're evaluating your data streams and what you're looking at. So just real briefly, the business case for using HR analytics in our workplaces, we probably all know that, right? We make better decisions. That's why we want to use data in our decision-making. It helps us eliminate bias and judgment that is natural to creep into decision-making. It helps our leaders make better decisions. So if we're coming with data points and sharing data about their people, they make better decisions, which improves our credibility, which improves our value to the organization. And then technical advances have just uh, made it easier for us to engage with large amounts of data. So there are a lot of programs out there. Um, your human capital management systems may have very robust capabilities that you can use as well. And in a survey from SHRM, um, there were several trends that were um, identified in an HR analytics or in rela relation to HR analytics. 
Um, they had surveyed a number of CEOs and over 80% said talent related data is important to their company. So CEOs are paying attention to this. And 71% of CEOs believe that human capital contributes to sustainable economic value. So being able to make decisions around our people is really key to driving the economic value of the company. All right, so we've gone through some background on various things here, and I want to go ahead and think about what is this process that you actually use? So we're going to spend the rest of our time focused around the process for using HR analytics in your organization. So you've heard me say this already several times. Step one is define the business challenge. So if you don't have an identified clear uh, so problem that you're trying to solve, then you need to start there. Clean up what is that problem, what is that challenge that you have or a manager has that you're trying to help with. And then you need to establish your team that you're going to work with on this project to try to identify a good solution. And from there, you form your hypothesis. So we're trying in this stage to look at what could happen that might affect a positive change or what intervention might we run in our situation. And then you run your analyses. So you're looking at all of the data points and integrating the data at this point to be able to, in the next step, use that data to inform your decisions. Maybe your hypothesis was right on and we proved it out to be true. Maybe your hypothesis led you back to the beginning where you didn't even find the right business challenge. Um, you didn't have that defined. So certainly, um, we use that data to inform what decisions we make and then we communicate our findings. So whether that's just with our project team or a larger group that we need to present to and evaluate our intervention. Oftentimes these things take time to prove out and, and it may be six months, it may be two years even before you're able to fully evaluate your solution and how effective it was. But that definitely needs to be a part of our process here. So let's talk about that first step first. <laughs> so what is the business question? What is the challenge? What is the problem you're trying to answer that you're trying to solve? So you probably have all kinds of things on your list that you would like to be more effective at or you'd like to improve or you have a department you're working with that you'd like to solve a challenge they have. I'll give you some examples of what they could be. So one is how effectively can we predict the quality of talent intake for a specific role based on applicant data? So we could identify who's likely to stick in a role if we understand the data and the certain um, qualities or characteristics that people have that make them successful in the company. Another example is what factors are um, likely to, um, or let me back up, what factors will increase the likelihood that top talent will stay with the company and continue to perform well and be that top talent? So if we could predict who's going to be our rock star, um, definitely we want to do things to make sure they're engaged and, and they stay with us. What about just when do we hire? So oftentimes, I think people, managers will come to you and say, I need to hire someone. Well, what's the business case behind that? Do we think there's going to be some efficiency? Do we need to hire a full-time, part-time, three people, two people? Those are things that we want to be able to predict. How about which roles in your organization create the most value? Do you know what those role are, roles are and, and how do we define that? Which ones are contributing to the company um, in a most valuable way? And, and how are we performing in each role? How can we improve performance in each role? Sometimes we just want to make more evidence-based decisions. So having the data to back up what we know is true um, and making sure that we're using data points in hiring processes. So as an example, I know most of you probably aren't as big as Google, but they receive more than 2 million resumes in a year. And so they've identified very clear criteria for screening, and then they can put those through um, artificial intelligence in order to screen through resumes more quickly. So when you're able to very 
clearly articulate and define what skills or what experience makes an individual successful in a role, then you can use the different um, technology platforms to help you screen that and you don't even have to look into resumes to be able to um, screen out great can or screen in great candidates for the interview stage. And that also helps reduce bias too. So it's definitely something to look at. So in our example, I'm gonna share with you today as we walk through each step of the process is um, what we came up with. This is adapted from a real life situation. I had uh, been working with a client on an HR audit. So we were looking through their processes and procedures and policies and trying to figure out um, ways that they could be more effective and efficient, but also compliant. So one of the things we looked at was um, turnover rates for different demographic groups. And I noticed that within the Hispanic employee po population, we had a significantly higher turnover rate when we compared other groups to them and their turnover rates. So in this example, I'll take a few liberties to protect anonymity um, of my client, but um, this is what we identified. So turnover among our Hispanic employees is higher than turnover for employees in other demographic categories. So that's our problem. We're trying to figure out why. Why do we have an increased number of Hispanic employees leaving the company? And that was true both with voluntary and involuntary turnover. So that's our business problem, our challenge that we're trying to solve that's been clearly defined. So your next step is to define your team. So who is critical for the success of my solution? It may not just be the people involved in the issue. It could be an advocate that you need to pull into your team. So maybe you need um, somebody to help convince a manager of something. So maybe you need a sponsor or an advocate as part of that team. If you're not the department head or part of the leadership team, maybe you need someone that's at that level to be a part of your, your group, depending upon that problem. And you need someone to be your analyst. So if you don't have someone in your department that can look through data and integrate the data that you're looking at, maybe there's someone from another group you can pull from. So finance might be a logical um, one to Think about if, if you need to do some spreadsheet analysis or something like that, or can you outsource if you don't have someone internally capable and able to commit the time to it? Could you potentially hire an intern or maybe use a student worker for this project that you're looking at? And we also need to make sure our team members can trust and view the relevant data and agree what's what it is that we have in front of us related to it. So if you have a manager that doesn't trust your data or doesn't understand it, or if it needs to be confidential in a way that you can't share with them, then those individuals shouldn't be a part of our team. Or if they are, we need to get them up to speed on the data and make sure that um, they trust that it's good data first. So with our example, we um, went ahead and looked at different locations. We knew we had some challenges with some of the locations with this turnover problem. And so we identified three location managers that had higher turnover um, because really we're trying to solve their issues. Um, and then we also wanted to pull into our team a location manager with low turnover because we thought they might have some good ideas about what's happening. And they're also working really well in partnering with us in HR and they like to try different things for us to just retain employees and um, hire well. We have a marketing analyst that just was added to the company. So in our team, we felt like instead of going to finance who tends to be a little overloaded anyway, we went with marketing because they are used to looking at spreadsheets and data analysis um, based on some of the customer trends that they look through. And so this person was newer to the team and they weren't already um, embedded in a lot of projects. So they had some capacity and we thought that'd be a good fit. And then of course, HR is on the team. So um, we had several managers, our marketing analysts and our human resources uh, contributors to the team. 
And with that, I'm gonna have Mike go ahead and launch our next polling question. Yeah, so depends on your project. Any of those might be a good uh, addition based on what it is you're trying to solve. Obviously, if you're not a part of that senior leadership, then I would say definitely we need to get some kind of senior leader advocacy within our team, but it really depends on what situation you have going on here. Any of those could be good options. All right. So back to our process, the next thing we need to do after we've established our team is just form that hypothesis. Why do we think something's happening and what could we do to affect it? So a hypothesis for you non-scientists out there is just a prediction about variables of interest. So variables are the things that can be measured or counted. And you can think of it as an if-then statement. If I do this, then this will happen. So you wanna process through some questions here. What data or variables should I test? And common ones we think about are things like employee engagement or turnover or salary, um, job satisfaction, things like that are usually the variables we might be wanting to um, impact or test out. And then you have to think about your data that you have access to that might inform you. So in our case, we're thinking about turnover and that increased turnover. So we have data such as number of voluntary quits and engagement scores and employee evaluation scores, and we have training records and maybe safety is involved here. I don't know. So we've got safety records we can look at. Um, we have information from stay interviews we could look at. We have supervisory evaluation scores if we think it might be a supervisor issue. Um, so there's a lot of things that we could look at to try to help us form those hypotheses. And in this case, you also want to consider, are you looking at leading or lagging indicators or a mix? So when we look at turnover, for instance, that's a lagging indicator. It tells us something about historical numbers or metrics where it's a past item and we can't really do as much about it because it's already happened. So you typically want to look at a mix of things. Leading indicators might be things like current employee engagement scores or employee retention rates or intention to leave. So there's a, a score that indicates an employee's intent to leave based on how they score on different behaviors. So that might be something that you look at as well. And so in our case, we um, decided that we had several hypotheses that we were going to test out. So oftentimes managers say it's all about pay, right? People are just leaving because we don't pay them enough. So if we pay them more, they'll stay. So we knew we had to look at that as a hypothesis and consider what um, pay issues might be going on here, if any at all. Um, we also had a hypothesis that if we provide more consistent management of employees, then turnover will decrease. So having tools and coaching and managers checking in on employees regularly may cause turnover to decrease. Another thought we had is if we conduct more training with new employees, turnover will decrease. So maybe our issues were related to um, onboarding or orientation or, or the training that people get. And then we also thought if we conducted stay interviews with key employees to determine what issues were and address those issues, that might decrease turnover as well. So we really had four different things we were looking at here. And so the data points that might guide us in our analysis include things like market pay rates, involuntary turnover, um, voluntary turnover, turnover rates by location, turnover rates by supervisor, employee evaluation data by supervisor, so how effective are supervisors in, in how they manage, employee training offered per employee by supervisor, so again we're getting down into some of the supervisory level um, behaviors, and then number of hours spent coaching employees by supervisors, and we also have qualitative data, so it's not all quantitative, but in the exit or stay interview responses that we have, we can collect some information from those as well. So a lot of things we're testing out here, and then we actually um, get into our analyses. So basically, after you figure out what those hypotheses might be, you want to go through and run your analyses. So you might have very basic or you might have very complex uh, levels that you're looking at here. Sometimes it's really simple qualitative data. So maybe we're conducting interviews and looking at that data. 
but other times we're integrating a lot of quantitative data. So we might need to look at correlations or regression and statistically significant variability. And if we have a complex analysis that needs to be done, and you didn't prepare for that when you established your team, you might think about adding that expertise to your team as well. So we already talked about maybe outsourcing or using an intern. Could you tap into a local university and ask them to help with some of this capability from their business school or something like that? Or is there someone from another department? We used a marketing analyst in my example. Maybe there's someone in finance or maybe you have an analytics group within your company if you're big enough. And then also what technology platforms could you use to help? Does your human capital management system or your ERP system allow you to integrate data that you need to analyze? And might we have a um, platform or a dashboard that can help us with that? So we get all of our analyses done. What we're looking at in our fictional example here is um, pay analysis. So we have our managers who think it's all about pay and um, typically it's not pay that's driving so much of that. And generally we know that even when employees give pay as a reason, there's usually something else even influencing them to look. So pay is just the easy answer. People don't want to tell their managers that they're not good managers or they're unhappy at work. It's difficult to have that conversation. But for us to satisfy our location managers that thinks that pay is the reason for turnover, we looked at pay compared to market data. We looked in pay in employees that stay versus employees that leave. We looked at pay in high performers. We looked at pay increases over the last several years. And we looked at exit interview data to see if, if it was indicated. We um, wondered if turnover might be influenced by supervisory behaviors or training hours. So we looked at turnover rates and those different metrics, analyzing um, different supervisory behaviors, how often they were doing coaching meetings, how often they were having regular meetings with their employees, and then also how much training each employee under those supervisors were doing. And then we also started doing stay interviews in key areas within the company. Um, we had identified there were also some pre-quitting behaviors that we would use to assess employees and their intention to stay. So there was a uh, Harvard Business Review study done several years back, and they had identified 13 different pre-quitting behaviors. And if a supervisor just simply rated an employee on their agreement or disagreement with an employee's um, behaviors in, in those areas, a score of 4.2 or higher would indicate that um, they were likely at risk of leaving the organization in the next 12 months. So this little rating system gives us um, real information on people who are more likely to leave. So if we conduct and focus on stay interviews with those individuals, we might uncover and identify some very key things that we can tackle. So we prioritized stay interviews with those employees that we considered high risk. So those individuals that scored high on these pre-quitting behaviors that we assessed them against. So that's what we did in our analyses. And then we looked at data and what we figured out from that to inform our decisions. We had to make some recommendations on what to do next. And so in this phase of using your data to inform decisions, you're really just looking at all of that to figure out, was I right in my hypothesis and what might I do differently? What am I going to recommend we do and take action on in order to affect what we want to um, solve or that challenge that we were looking at? So in this case, um, we really have to understand the quantitative data and how it impacts our hypothesis. And our data may require us to get more data. We might have to do additional, additional analyses. We might have to have follow-up discussions. We might go back to square one. Maybe we were totally wrong. And so we don't even have an informed decision to make at this point. 
And I would say use your resources as you help to think about interventions. So tap into SHRM, tap into your network, use your consultants that you regularly work with and say, hey, have you seen this before? We're thinking about trying X and maybe they can help tweak that um, decision for you. So in our case, after we did our analysis, um, our analysis, I should say, pay data did not support that compensation was impacting turnover. So we had a couple of employees in exit interviews say that pay was why they were leaving, but through all of the different data that we looked at, that was not indicated. And supervisory data we looked at actually indicated that some supervisors were spending more coaching time with employees and conducting more thorough onboarding with employees. And training hour analysis, so in this company, they record all of their training hours um, because they're compliance-based and they have to have a certain number of hours. But um, it showed that employees who received an average of just one and a half hours more of training in their first six months of employment were more likely to be employed for a full year after that. So just an extra hour and a half of training in six months indicated a higher success rate in terms of staying with the company. And then with our stay interviews, we had some good insight and quick fixes identified in some cases. So um, other more extensive issues came up as well, but certainly we were able to impact some things through the qualitative data that we identified in the stay interviews as well. And so the next step in our process was to communicate our findings. So in this phase, you have to think about who am I presenting to, who are the stakeholders involved, what's the best way to present? You have to know your audience. What do they care about? Do they want data? Do they want pictures? Do they want visuals? Do they want a story? Um, how do or what do we want them to do with the information? How do they prefer to receive it? How do they prefer to receive it? Excuse me. And how do we want them to feel as they, they come away? It's just not all about data. We, we're people and we're humans too. So we have to consider that impact as well. And then we have to consider what biases might they have that could influence their communication. And we wanna generally communicate our ideas three times. So we want to say up front what we wanna do, what we did within the presentation, and then also within our summary conclusion. And I would encourage you to communicate with different media. So maybe some graphs, maybe some data and tables, maybe some visuals, maybe storytelling, because everybody receives information in different ways and will process it a little bit differently. So in our group, our um, primary uh, stakeholders that we were looking at initially was just our project group. So we had some managers where we were trying to impact that and, and then we were needing to communicate higher once we um, went ahead and went forward with some intervention. So we looked in our communication message, we identified that Pay data in terms of race history, market rates, and other factors really didn't indicate it was a leading cause of turnover. But we did find that additional coaching by supervisors influenced employees' success and desire to stay. We found that additional training time led to decreased turnover. And so we recommended an increased amount of hours for new hires in their training process. And we recommended recommended providing coaching tools and additional training for supervisors so that they could be more consistent in how they're coaching their employees and how they are communicating, how frequent they're doing that, and what kinds of things that they're talking about with their employees on a regular basis. So then we have to evaluate our intervention. What did the results look like? Did it work? What was the return on investment? Is there any way we can show impact to the company? And when you can turn it into a cost savings or dollar impact, obviously that's going to speak for itself. And so we wanna think about what should we do next? If we had some success in what we did, what's the next step? How do we roll this out more fully if we did this with a smaller group? And within our evaluation phase, we might use a scorecard. So you would have simply your goal, your metrics, your data source, and your expected change on a very simple kind of scorecard. So in this case, as we um, implemented some new training hours and coaching tools for supervisors, we looked at 
um, turnover again, and we saw a 5% decrease in Hispanic employee turnover within six months. And then we saw a 12% decrease over 12 months after we um, implemented some of the things that we recommended. And so it, it definitely showed that there was a return on investment. We could equate that to um, dollars because we know how much it costs or we know a range of how much turnover costs us. So we were able to really kind of prove out that it worked. Sample scorecard is represented here. So our goal is to reduce turnover. And our metrics we looked at were related to training hours per employee and then just turnover. So we could get the uh, training hours out of our training system and then HR calculates our turnover rates. But with training hours, we would expect that increase. And then with turnover, we would expect a decrease and overall um, turnover would go down then. You could be more robust in how you define your goals. Certainly you could have said, we wanna reduce turnover by 10% or something like that so that you have actual numbers you're working against. And here are some metrics that are pretty common in terms of some of the things that people track and things that you might want to impact or measure in terms of um, your evaluation of your implementation plan and the actions that you took. So um, those are just there for you to think about and consider if you track those or um, want to use those. And then the last thing I want to cover before we wrap up today are just the skills that you need for success as you think about HR analytics. So really it's about three domains, people, business, and data. In the people area, you really have to understand HR, of course, and the members of your organization so that you're good at asking questions. Um, you have to be inquisitive and, and think about how do you get into people's heads? How do you get them to trust you and talk to you, um, share information with you? So you have to really be a little bit of a psychologist and know how to motivate teams or why people work, what influences them to stay or to leave, and really be good with influence and persuasion. You also need business skills. So thinking about understanding the business process, where does your organization generate its competitive advantage? Where do you make money? Or if you're a nonprofit, how do you get revenue in? How do you serve consumers? All of those things are important for you to understand about the business. And especially what are the issues business leaders care about? That's how you're going to be able to pose the right questions so that you can even begin the process of defining that business challenge. And then of course, data, data skills. So we need both data expertise, so really a comfort level with extracting data, cleaning it, transforming it, managing it, but then also the analytics expertise that goes with that. So comfort with analysis and visualizing the data and validating um, what our, uh, actions are. So skills in three different areas. And certainly if you don't possess all of those, you build your team that way, or you outsource, or you use people that you trust, and you can count on to deliver in some of those areas. Before we wrap up, we're going to do one final polling question, which uh, Mike will load for us here. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, not surprised here. Um, data is the area where we're learning and becoming more com comfortable with it to integrate it within our processes. That's probably why you got onto this webinar to begin with. <laughs> you want to develop in that area. Um, generally in HR, people feel pretty good about the people skills and the, that side of things. And it's good to see that you guys feel comfortable about the business aspect, that you're really integrated into your businesses and understand all of those pieces. So that's great. If you would like some more information on this topic, Sherm published this book, The Practical Guide to HR Analytics, that has a lot of good examples and way more detail than I could ever provide you with a, um, in a one-hour webinar. So I would encourage you to follow up with that or certainly reach out and we can have some additional conversation about that. I'd be happy to meet with you or have further discussion one-on-one -on -one about some of the challenges you're trying to solve as well.